www.thisdiver.com where we um, are reaching now at least 175,000 globally, which is super fun um, because I think we've got some really cool things to say, some uh, cool things to, to chat about, some good information that is always important to living a good, healthy, full life, uh, the God-intended life that we were put here to live. And so it's always my goal to do my best to bring to you uh, what I believe, uh, based in, uh, that is evidence-based, <laughs> not just what I believe, but evidence-based, what, uh, what is the best at health at wellness, um, and as we all know, health and wellness is, of course, physical, mental, emotional. It's also spiritual, financial, relational. It's all of the things. Um, you know, I think that we have we have an amazing opportunity in this life to to serve, to love, to give. And what I know is that there are things that can get in the way of that. Uh, where, you know, if it's symptoms, if it's stresses, if it's, um, you know, some things in life just get in the way of us doing the best that we can and feeling the best that we can. And so I like to bring resources to you that you may or may not know about uh, that is outside of the conventional. And I have the amazing uh, um I don't know, gift, but it's not my gift, but the, the gift that I have a lot of really great people who I have access to who, um, who do some great things and are out there to, who are on a mission just as I am to serve and to build up and to, to grow health of, of ourselves and of course of our communities. And so today, as always, we wanna start with gratitude. Um, and I think that um, I'm going to be sort of simple today. Uh, I want to be a little bit simple because since it's just me, you know, usually I bring people on with me, which is always super fun. But when I get to come on by myself, it does a couple of things. It helps to strengthen my ability to speak for an hour. <laughs> I am, I'm not a natural, uh, I'm not one of those who can just go out and just chitty chat and talk and talk and talk. And so this is a, it, this is a, it's a strengthening tool for me. It is training for me. It is the ability to just, uh, you know, get up and get out there and put out the things that I wanna say that I think are important and, uh, and give as much as I can possibly give. But get me, it also gets me outside of my com comfort zone, which is what I believe to be really important is getting outside of your comfort zone. Um, it's what helps us grow. It's what helps us to to build character. And if we mess up, which I tend to mess up a lot, uh, then you know we grow from it and we learn from it. And it's that's what it's all about. So I'm grateful to have this platform to be able to to give my knowledge, but also to learn. You know, I have uh, people who reach out to me who teach me always. The guests who I bring on always are teaching me, and that's that's what I want in life is to to learn and to be educated and to have the ability to discern what is right and wrong, what is good and maybe not so good, and then also the ability to to know when something is no longer right or things are changing. Uh, in the world of science, which is not really truly science anymore, I don't think, but in the world of science, that's what it's all about. That's what it's supposed to be, is we, we change with data and we continue to research and then we continue to change with data. Um, and we, we are not supposed to be bring a lot of bias into this data, right? This, the science is about, it's about wonder. And, and learning and bringing in knowledge and then bringing more knowledge into what we've learned so we can continue to learn and, and grow from that. So uh, that was a really long way of saying that I'm super grateful for where I am today, <laughs> being, <laughs> being in this place. Um, so 
today, we, you know, we talk a lot about fertility, um, and we're uh, fertility and infertility, as well as preconception planning, which is really where my sweet spot is. It's the preconception planning. What does that mean? This is the time, whether you're two years out or whether you're at that point where you're going through IVF, you know, or fertility treatments. All of this time, this is the time to to take it to, to step back if possible and when possible to take the time to create your own health to build on your own health if you are already healthy then optimize if you have some symptoms then do the things that you can do to decrease those symptoms because symptoms are a warning signal right they're a sign they're a they're telling you something's up you know I always like to you know it's the knocking on the door and saying hey there's something going on and I need you to fix it. The body's talking to you, right? We've, 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 we've for, sort of forgotten how to listen to our bodies. And so we go and we take an ibuprofen, which was something we're going to hit on here in a little bit, or we, um, you know, cover it up with, you know, alcohol or whatever the case may be, instead of paying attention to it and saying, this is something that I need to address because the body is talking to me. Um, so taking that step back, and saying, what is it trying to say? What's going on? How do I find the tools, the team, the people to help me understand what it is that these, these symptoms are, allow them to, to then, uh, for us to control them or minimize them or make them go away entirely um, to, in order to be as healthy as we can to plan for getting pregnant. Um, and so my job, of course, is uh, digging for the root cause. And so when someone comes to me, whether it's for preconception planning, whether it's for all-out fertility, whether it's for GI dysfunction or, or autoimmune conditions or whatever the case may be, it's not just about we're looking at the autoimmune disease or we're looking at the pain in the gut or we're looking at the lack of, of you know, estrogen and progesterone, whatever the case may be. It's we are, we are getting as deep as we possibly can to understand why these things are happening. They don't just happen, they happen for a reason. Um, and so, you know, with, with testing, with understanding lifestyle factors, with digging as deep as we can, trauma, uh, intense stressors, these things all have such an amazing impact on the body, on hormones, on, on, on the way our different organ systems function, on the way our brain functions. So it's important to take a step back, dig as deep as we can, address from the bottom up. So if we're starting, so if you are picturing a tree, um, you've got the roots down here, and of course all the leaves and branches up here. If you have the roots down here, this is where dysfunction starts, right? This is where dis-ease starts, is down here. And so all the things that are down here, sleep and stress and um, food and exercise and, you know, uh, the, the infection and these things that can, that, that can create dysfunction, dysfunction from the root. So as we address those, then we can, the body has the ability to address the rest as we go up the trunk and into the leaves and it, ha it can grow its beautiful green leaves just as it's supposed to, right? So... If we take that a step, if we take that and look at the body, you know, if, if all of the, 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 the root cause issues are being addressed, then we have the ability to absorb nutrients. We have the ability to you know, break food down in order to absorb nutrients. We have the ability to, to sleep well, to, to, to exercise, to handle and mitigate stress handle traumas that we've had in the past and sometimes it takes a team of people to help us do all of those things but that's always the goal so today although you know we often many times we're talking about women um, and that's kind of you know as a society that's sort of what we do is we put a lot of the the planning the fertility stuff on women when really um, you know as I was doing some research for this talk today it's 40% man, uh, as far as dysfunction goes, right? It's the 40% male, 40% female, and then 20% other factors. And so we shouldn't only focus on, when it comes to fertility, 
just women, we need to focus on men and male health as well and male fertility. And this one is for Henry because I came in this morning and he says, all you have to do is say fertility, male fertility, and then Latin lover, drop the mic. <laughs> there you go, Henry. It's all we need to know. <laughs> Henry is the epitome of the Latin lover. Um, anyway, so if you don't know Henry, he is the owner of the station and the guru behind all of the techie stuff. Uh, he's amazing and the reason why I'm here, uh, he and of course uh, Lowell Whiteman, if you don't know Lowell, you should. So let's dig in because even Latin lovers can have some fertility issues. It's just the way that it goes, especially in the world that we're living in today. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of stuff going on. I have a lot of stats, a lot of things to kind of work through. Um, so one of the things <laughs> one of the things that I want to point out, so bear with me as we kind of go through this because there's a lot and yes, I have to wear my glasses. Um, so we there was a study done, let's see, a review of 61 papers. Uh, and there were four, almost 15,000 participants in this study. And sperm concentration, let's see, it was from 1940 to 1990, okay? So in this period of time, sperm concentration decreased from 153, uh, where, is, where do my numbers come from? <laughs> problem here. So 113 million milliliters to 66. 113 to 66. It's, I mean, how do you how do you even comprehend that number? Um, so average seminal volume decreased from 3.4 milliliters to 2.75. Average sperm count decreased from, let's see, 384.2 million to 181.5 million. It's a 52.8 decrease. So these numbers are staggering they're also a little bit fascinating where where does this where do these numbers how how does this happen and these are the things that we want to dig into so I want to read some more stats to you so uh, there is a time let's see so this is from this is up until 1990 and so then let's see we have uh, between 1973 to 2011 a study was done there was 7500 studies that were published that looked at sperm counts and concentrations, uh, and it was a, a, a meta-analysis of 185 studies. And they, of course, they eliminated men who they were known known to be infertile. And so these were 43,000 men in 50 different countries. So this is not just uh, the United States. And of course, this is the global show, so it's super relevant. Um, so what they found was 60% decline and total sperm count over nearly four decades. And interesting too, the studies pub were published after 1995. So really what we're looking at is 1995 to 2011, 60% decline in, in total sperm count. <laughs> it's, just, it's just massive. Um, and so here's another interesting point that um, I didn't, hadn't realized, but it really only, it makes sense is the decrease in sperm count is a potential indicator of the increased risk of premature death. They're calling it kind of the canary in the cave, right? Or the canary in the coal mine. And so if, if sperm count is decreasing, why? These are the things that we want to cover. Um, and if this is happening, it's correlated to a, a higher risk of death or early death. And so we want to look at the reasons behind this. Um, and it's not anything new, right? Well, I mean, it's new to our society over the last 40, 50, 60 years as far as the toxicants in our environments, the inflammatory responses, the inability for our, our bodies to handle the massive amount of change in toxicants in the air, um, the, the, the amazing amount of stress that we, we, we deal with as humans. Uh, you know, they're, they're always stressors, but you know, historically, if you look at stress, historically, we have a time where we are calm, 
and then you have crazy stressors, right? And then you become calm again, as long as you're still alive. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, you know, your our ancient, you know, caveman days, right? So you go out, things are fine, you go hunting, uh, then you get hunted, right? So that's when your cortisol levels spike. Uh, but then, as long as you get away um, and no longer being hunted, you get your own kill, then, you, then everything goes back down and is normal again. But what we're finding today is cortisol levels don't go back down, so they're remaining chronically elevated. This is creating a chronically elevated, uh, chronic, chronic inflammatory response. And so what happens was so interesting and to me, you know, biochemistry um, is super fascinating. It's super cool. It's amazing how outside factors, inside factors, all affect biochemistry. And so when it comes to just cortisol itself or just the stress response, what happens is we're supposed to have a normal, natural stress response, right? We get stressed, cortisol goes up, stress goes away, cortisol goes down, and it's fine. Where we are today, being a little bit repetitive, but where we are, when that cortisol goes up and stay, oh, so let me, sorry, back up. Cortisol, when it's elevated for short periods of time, is anti-inflammatory right so it's supposed to happen it's supposed to create a response where the body has the ability to to do the things that it needs to do think about the people who pick up cars off of kids when they fall or, or off of other people or these amazing feats that people have the ability to to uh to do under other you know under other circumstances they wouldn't be able to do so this is this is the, the ability of the body and the the the, the magic of our stress hormones is it creates an anti-inflammatory response and we can do the things that we need to do. It pushes the blood out to the extremities um, and the body works well under stress. But it also then takes the blood from the core and is pushing it out to the extremities. So when we are chronically stressed, we have chronically elevated cortisol the blood chronically remains at the extremities and it doesn't stay at the core. So it, it, it brings us to a place where we're unable to break down our food. It then also becomes inflammatory. So we, we stay chronically stressed, chronically inflamed, and then it's this uh, downward spiral of chronic stress, chronic inflammation, chronic stress, chronic inflammation, one, one begets the other. And then what happens, we, it goes you know out from there to, uh, uh, you know, uh, potentially, you know, leaky gut syndrome or intestinal permeability to autoimmune conditions, to cardiovascular disease, to stroke, to Alzheimer's, all the things that you can, that we deal with today that are lifestyle diseases have the potential of coming from this, this cascade of events from chronic stress. Just um, having infection is stressful, can create chronic stress. Um, relationships can create chronic stress. Um, uh, you know, other diseases, you know, again, that cascade, that downward spiral could create more chronic stress. And so if you don't get control of that, it affects everything, including sperm count, sperm motility, sperm, uh, the volume of, of, of seminal fluid. All of these things are affected. It affects our hormones, so testosterone can go down. For women, our estrogens can go all over the place. And so, um, and, and stress from our environment, from EMFs, from the toxicants in the air, from the toxicants that are in our home, all of these things create more and more and more stress. And so, when we talk about mitigating stress, we have to not only think about, yes, I need to mitigate stress um, by prayer, by meditation, by, by being still, all of those things are very, very important. But we have to think about if we're having other symptoms, what are causing, causing those other symptoms, right? So is there an infection going on? Is there a problem in, the relation, in, in, in any relationship, whether it's you know, kids, parents, uh, work relationships, right? All of these things um, can continue to create that down, downward spiral. So. Um, getting back to the data here um, a little bit is, you know, what we take, what we really 
the big takeaway is kind of what I've already been hitting on is that so much of our environment, what we deal with today uh, is is what's creating this 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 decrease in our sperm counts. Our, our, our bodies aren't able to handle it, but we can mitigate it. That's the beautiful thing about it is we can turn it around. And that's the whole point of, you know, of Soulful Conception, my program Soulful Conception, is turning it around. It's, it's not always easy, but it can be done. And so taking the time to get as healthy as you possibly can for, for men, for women, as you come together, let's get healthy because that is what is going to be, is going to be, um, is going to move into literally your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and on and on. So um, one of the things that is quoted here is incre the increasing rate of male for infertility is that the changes are happening too quickly to be attributed to genetics. There are a lot of people who like to blame what's going on on genetics. And so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Genetics are about Genetic, genetic abnormalities are probably about 90, I'm sorry, about 5% of the issues, the diseases, the conditions that we deal with today. Three to 5%. Everything else is um, lifestyle induced. And so when we take that and take that into consideration, what that does is it puts the accountability on us, which is beautiful. Right? I mean, we don't always want to be accountable for ourselves, but it's what we're, that's why we're here is to be accountable for ourselves and accountable to our families and then teach our kids to be accountable to themselves and then accountable to the, their families, right? I mean, it's, that's, that's the whole, you know, one of the main goals of life is, to, is, is knowing that I have the freedom and the accountability to do what I need to do for me and to take care of me and then to build my team to help me take care of me. Um, and so, you know, this is getting into what I love about soulful conception and what I love about um, accountability is epigenetics. And if we haven't talked about epigenetics already, or um, if we've talked about it, if you haven't heard me talk about epigenetics already, epigenetics is locations on top of genes that have the ability to turn on and off due to lifestyle factors. And when they turn on and off, this is how genes express. So they are the sort of the caretaker of gene expression. And so we can we have the ability to look at labs, to look at epigenetic variants in a lab report to see what your potential is. Now the symptoms are what are more important. We want to we want to compare symptoms, we want to compare lifestyle. And then we want to compare that to lab reports, and then we can look at epigenetic variants. And so we can see that in uh, in your family, maybe there is trauma, right? You can see we there are trauma genes that we can see from uh, you know decades behind this. It's really amazing, actually. Hard for me to understand, but they it's it's true. Um, but also we can see if we have the potential for autoimmune disease. So for me specifically, um, I've talked about um, being gluten-free. Uh, interestingly, uh, I have recently taken in a little bit of gluten and not had a reaction, which is super cool. But we have to take everything into consideration. And what I know about my own epigenetic uh, makeup is I have the potential for autoimmune disease and I have the potential for celiac disease. So why would I continue gluten, right? So this is a really amazing tool to understand, get a feel for what your potential is and then how to mitigate it in the future. Um, I see this in clients, right? We see that they have, they have symptoms. We start to address the symptoms. We bring in the epigenetic variants. We look at that. And, and it's, it's the most amazing feeling in the world when you know that the likelihood of them at this point, now that we've, we've addressed all of these things, the likelihood of them expressing these terrible, terrible conditions later in life, you know, a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the road, can be mitigated. It's amazing. 
We have we can look at we can look at the Alzheimer's genes, um, and and those can be mitigated. It's hard, but it can be done. So if we start early, if we have as much information as possible, and we start early, and get healthy now, we can mitigate these 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 possibilities, the potentiality of these variants expressing later in life and then generations ahead. It's beautiful, it's fascinating, it's amazing. It's, it's not hard, it just takes will, right? And again, it goes back to, you know, our will in life is to do really big, beautiful things and I think that, that should, that's a part of it for, for most of us anyway. You know, I'm not everybody, everybody's not me. But uh, it, it really comes down to the fact it's the amount of control that we have as individuals. I think so, so often we feel like we've lost control uh, because we have these symptoms or we have uh, Alzheimer's in the family or we have diabetes in the family or we have cardiovascular disease in the family. All of these things can make us feel like, well, that's just the way that it's going to be when that's not the case. The control is... So much of it is in our hands, not entirely, but so much of it is in our hands, I, 90% of it. That's a lot, right? So taking that control, taking hold of it, and really understanding that you have the power as the individual. And again, I, sometimes I think that um, the individual believes, well, I can't do anything, but maybe all these other people can as a group. It really comes down to the individual. So know that, take it. Um, love on it and take that power because you have so much power. It's really amazing. I'll get off my soapbox for a second because it's just so important to understand, right? Um, okay, so one of the things uh, that I talk about a lot, but I think it's, 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 it's it, it, we can't talk about it enough because we are surrounded by what's called endocrine disruptors and it affects men, it affects women, it affects children. Um, and it affects our fertility, it affects um, our, our women's hormones and ovulation, it, it affects men's hormones and testosterone production and uh, sperm production. And so endocrine disruptors, they're, they're everywhere. And what that means, so we have um, what's called their estrogen mimickers. And so we can call them xenoestrogens. Uh, they're chemicals that, that act as estrogens in the body. We, they're metalloestrogens, so they're heavy metals that act like estrogens in the body. Um, and what they do is they bind on to estrogen receptor sites. We have estrogen receptor sites all over our body, probably, I think on every cell of our body. This is for men and for women. And they bind really tightly, which doesn't allow for our own estrogens to bind to those sites, which creates massive hormonal shifts. And dysfunction um, and we can see this in women when it comes to the, this, this really debilitating uh, PMS symptoms that they have we can see this in men who become soft and they start to have uh, you know they don't really grow breasts but there's some breast tissue there uh, because of this excess estrogen and so testosterone is going down and another piece of that that really really is important is when, when men have what we would call a beer belly or this excess adipose tissue around the gut, what happens, and it happens in, men, in, in women too, this is not just for, men, for, for women, but it's a, much, it's a big problem for men, is if, they may, if they're making testosterone and they have this excess adipose tissue, fat, right, that is another endocrine gland in and of itself. Fat tissue, so hormones are communicators, right? So the fat tissue is creating hormones and it's creating estrogen. So the, they may be making their testosterone, but it's converting, it's aromatizing by into estrogen. So their estrogen levels go up. And so testosterone's going down, estrogen's going up. So men then decide, well, I need to go get testosterone injections, but they're not addressing their lifestyle factors, right? So they go get more testosterone 
they're not fully tested for all the other, other hormones, so then they're getting more testosterone, and then their estrogen just continues to go up, right? And so it, 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 we have to make sure that we're addressing lifestyle factors. I am not at all opposed to bioidentical hormones. Um, I am opposed to chemical hormones, um, pharmaceutical hormones, uh, but bioidentical hormones have a place and can be anti-aging, they can be anti-inflammatory, they can be really helpful and successful for a lot of reasons. Um, but we have to make sure that we are, we are reducing inflammation, we're reducing sugar, we're reducing the intake of unhealthy oils, because all of these things increase inflammation, increasing adipose tissue, this, this, this gut fat, increasing the conversion or the aromatization of testosterone into estrogen. So if you are a man out there and you're, 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 you're hearing what I'm saying, then make sure that you're going to someone who is testing all of the relevant hormones, testing your estrogens, making sure that you're addressing your lifestyle. If you're not and you're not seeing success with your, with your testosterone, uh, uh, bioidentical testosterone, then understand that there's a reason for it, okay? Um, we've got to, we have to address the lifestyle, always. And so we're looking at things like um, endocrine disrupting chemicals, phthalates, uh, which are in plastics. Uh, phthalates can, so let's see, I have some, oh yeah. Phthalates are used as plasticizers to increase flexibility of toys, vinyl flooring, electric cables, medical devices, solvents, perfumes, lotions, cosmetics. I mean, phthalates are in everything. Think about what you're putting on your body. Think about what you're putting in your body. Think about if you're microwaving your food and you're putting and you're, you're microwaving it in plastic. So, so toxic. Think about um, the plastics that you're using to store your food. Think about if you are if you have warm food and you're putting it into a plastic bag in order to store it. You're just pulling all of these toxins. I think this, more of this is going to be the BPA, but uh, you're pulling all of these toxins, all of these plastics, into your food, and it's creating massive hormonal disruptions. Um, and so, uh, phthalates themselves decrease uh, sperm concentration, sperm motility, and decrease FSH and LH in men. So FSH is follicle stimulating hormone and LH is luteinizing hormone. Um, these are, these are hormones that both men and women produce, but important in men as well. So phthalates are important. And then we have the uh, PCBs, which are associated with um, Decreased sperm motility, sperm morphology, which is um, uh, the, the, the problems with the physical, the form of the, the sperm itself. Let's see, um, DNA integrity, higher fragmentation, uh, lower circulating testosterone levels, um, and then studies with differing levels of exposure all consistently display effect on sperm motility with proportional effects. So and then we can go into, oh, so triclosan. Triclosan is the antimicrobial, antibacterial that you see in soaps. You'll also find it in um, you know, antibacterial, uh, like the gels. You'll find it in cosmetics and lotions. Um, triclosan's a problem. Uh, what we're finding, what we're seeing, if you haven't already heard this, this is, this is not new, but people are still using it all the time, especially post, you know, during and now post-COVID the constant inundation of triclosan and these antiviral uh, and anti, antimicrobial uh, uh, lotions and gels and soaps and things we're using all the time, we're putting it on our skin, putting it on our body. What goes on our body goes in our body. So you can imagine if we're constantly using antimicrobials, what's it doing? It's completely disrupting our microbiome. If it's gonna kill on the outside of the skin, it's gonna kill on the inside, of the, the inside of the body. And we have to take that into consideration because our microbiome is, it's who we are. It's our personality, it's our immune system, it's, our, it, it's so much of our uh, neurotransmitter production, our happy hormones, our serotonin. These things are so important to our life and who we are. And if our microbiome is not optimal, at minimum, 
it can create you know symptoms but at maximum we've got a lowered immune system we've got depression and anxiety we've got um you know cardiovascular disease you name it our microbiome is what is our protector we have um i mean we're just little bug carriers is really all we are we've got bugs on our skin we've got bugs in our body we've got our oral microbiome We've got our important, you know, women, our, our, our vaginal bugs, very important. I know it sounds gross, but it's the way that it is. It's very important, and we have to have it all in balance, and we have to have it, we, we have to work as a team, right? We always talk about a team, but we got to work as a team with our bugs and support them and give them what they need in order for them to keep us healthy and keep us going. Um, and so triclosan is a problem. Wash your hands. Just don't use the antimicrobials. It is just as beneficial to wash your hands. What is it? It's the say the ABCs or it's the happy birthday or whatever it is using warm water and good healthy soap, right? We don't need all the antimicrobials. Every now and then, fine, but doing it every day, all day long is a huge problem, creates a huge problem and it's a huge burden. Um, and then of course, Along the same lines is getting into the pesticides and the herbicides. You hear me talk about this all the time. But if it's, again, if it's killing bugs, it's, it's, if we eat it, it's going to kill bugs, right? So er pesticides, uh, we've got um, these, if you, if you go to, uh, in, sorry, I'm losing my, my, my words, EWG, so it's environmentalworkinggroup.com. They have, they're an amazing resource. If you don't know about them, go to them. You can put in a single food. You can put in a single, uh, a single ingredient. You can put in a single ingredient to body care product, to, to what you're cleaning your home with, to what you wash your clothes with. You can put in brand names with all the ingredients already there, and it will come back, to, and to, it'll give you a rating on it, tell you how healthy it is. It'll tell you why. It, made, it gave you the rating, and it's, it really is a really great resource. But it has the, the, um, the, clean, the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. But know this, right? So this is strictly talking about foods that are the cleanest and the not cleanest. As far as when it comes to pesticides and herbicides, I'm, it's not talking about organic. Know that if you're eating foods that have that are that are that have been sprayed no matter what even if you clean them off the pesticides and herbicides are in the ground so what's in the ground you've got the root system that's in the ground the root system is going to take those up and it's going to be in every single cell of that plant right so you have the pesticides and the herbicides in the cells of the fruit and of the vegetable so Yes, you'll want to wash them off. You want to try to get your fruit and vegetables as clean as you can. Not everybody can do organic. Not everybody can grow their own food. Um, but, you know, your best bet is going to be to know your food locally and buy organic when you can. And if you do the clean, if you look at the Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen, it's a new list every year. You have an idea of the foods that are going to be the safest and those that are not. Um, and that's, that is, uh, it's, it's just a, a great resource and something to go by if you're not able to do organic all the time. We eat food constantly, right? Sometimes it's once a day, sometimes it's four or five or six times a day. Um, a little bit goes a long way. There was, let's see, um, this, this quote here, even teeny doses of exposure can have serious effects. But it can be years, even decades, until the health of until health impact fully manifests. So, you know, there are a lot of lot who believe that um, a little bit of pesticide, a little bit of herbicide, is not going to hurt us. And there will be the companies who will lead you to believe that the pesticides and the herbicides go away and they don't affect us. This is absolutely incorrect. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a sad state that we are consistently lied to like this, but it's the, but, but we are. And so we have to, again, it goes back to taking accountability, do your own research. I'm here to give you the information that I have, but go do your own research. It's not just about me. Um, you know, go to other people, go to other sources, uh, but there's a lot of really great uh, information out there. Interestingly, male infertility has increased in the last four decades around the same time, 
that powerful pesticides have come into play. Interesting point, right? So something certainly to take into consideration as, as pesticides came in and are being used over the last 40, 50 years to extreme amounts, um, our fertility, our, our male fertility rates have gone down well, and of course female as well. So um, this is one that I, that I think is, let's see, I have pages here. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna hit the high points. I'm gonna start hitting on the high points. These are, these are things that we, we can do, that we can address, um, but I wanna talk about sunscreen because we, we had this fear of sun and sun is this God-given gift of life. It's not to be feared, it's to be respected, but it is not to be feared. We have to have the sun. Um, if we have an autoimmune condition, we have to have the sun. Get out in the sun, don't wear sunscreen. If you're dark complected, you can, you can stay out in the sun longer. If you're light complected, you need to stay out in the sun less long. <laughs> Getting a little bit pink is not a big deal. It's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to get a little bit pink. It's not a good thing to get burned, right? It's not a good thing to get blistered. We have to respect the sun, but it's important to, to, to know your limits, but get out and get in the sun. Don't be afraid of it. Um, wear a hat when it comes to so wear a hat wear clothing if you need to whatever it takes but wear as little sunscreen as possible and if you do wear sunscreen make sure it's mineral based make sure it's safe it's the the UV filters that are found in sunscreens in sunscreens that can impair male fertility right so we have uh, this benzophenone <coughs> that is a problem um, it has both estrogenic and anti-androgenic activity. So estrogenic meaning it's the, it's the estrogen mimicker. Anti-androgenic meaning that it is decreasing the amount of male hormones. Androgenic hormones are, are the more masculine hormones. So testosterone, androstenedione, uh, all of those are androgenic hormones and really important for men, obviously. Let's see, a study of 501 couples assessed urinary levels of several different types of BP chemicals, which is the benzophenone um, in men's urine. Uh, let's see, with the highest concentrations, uh, let's, uh, sorry, had a decreased rate of getting pregnant. Anyway, there are some stats here. The, the importance of it is, the, the, is with the highest levels of these chemicals were decreased, was, was, was increased, geez, increased infertility or decreased fertility. <laughs> Get my words right. So watching what you're putting on your skin, watching what you're cleaning your clothes with, watching what you're cleaning your home with, all of these have um, estrogenic activity. All of these can put a toxic burden on the liver. All of these can impact female hormones, male hormones, you name it. Um, they can create big problems. So um, I'm not going to hit on this because you know it, smoking. Smoking is not good. Don't smoke. It's not going to help your fertility. Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is a big one. So in 2018, there was a, dangerous, a, a Danish study that showed uh, identifying chronic ibuprofen use as a possible male infertility trigger. Regular use impacted testosterone production. And so when they, it was a six week study and it was, I think it was 200 to 400 milligrams of ibuprofen, ibuprofen over a six week period of time, um, which decreased testosterone production. That's such a problem. We have, we have, we have a huge problem with testosterone not being at optimal levels. Um, and we need testosterone to be at optimal levels. We need men to be men. We need men to have testosterone. Women need testosterone as well. Yes, not to the extent, um, but we need to have, this, this needs to be changed. Um, I think that it is creating a huge problem in our society because these testosterone levels are dropping so much. So 
We talked a little bit about stress already. I think I'm going to skip that. Um, I jumped into that early, but stress it affects um, it affects all of these hormones that we're talking about. It it uh, reduces mitochondrial function, uh, it which affects our which affects um, testosterone production, affects sperm production, affects sperm motility. All the things that we're talking about. It's so important to mitigate your stress the best that you possibly can but making sure that you are identifying what is causing the stress, right? Physical, mental, emotional, what's causing the stress. <clears throat> obesity, obesity is a big one. I think it's not a surprise, um, but you know, let's, you know, it's getting into what is it that we're eating? You know, we've come to, a, to this place where we don't know sometimes the difference between real food and fake food. Fake food doesn't have the ability to support us like real food does. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what we're eating. We had on Sherry Hess last week. If you didn't see it, watch it. The show last week was, was amazing. But in talking about the fake food and, and the tricks that it plays on the body, the high sugar consumption um, playing tricks on the brain, right? High sugar increases in the inflammatory response. The inflammatory response increases stress. Stress reduces. Uh, stress, makes the, uh, stress shrinks the brain. So again, going back to that vicious cycle, right? And so the things that, that, that are so often that we don't see as really that bad, that really are that bad, are the processed meats. So the processed meats, um, your typical conventional hot dogs. Now, I like, have, most people like hot dogs, right? Um, but the hot dogs that I get, they're grass-fed, right? It's meat and it's fat. That's what's in it and, you know, some, uh, some seasonings. But your conventional hot dogs made of, from unhealthy animals with unhealthy preservatives, nitrates, nitrites, these things are all super carcinogenic and create lots of problems for the body, create inflammation. Um, and the, the additives are, are just sort of that, you know, straw on the camel's back, right? The straw that broke the camel's back. So processed meats are a big problem. When you, so real quick, nitrates and nitrites are preservatives. They are, they're, they're chemical preservatives. They, can, they come originally from celery, right? So celery can be used as a preservative. But you take the chemical nitrates and nitrites and you heat them so think about bacon, think about your uh, pastrami, think about your ham that you're buying from the store that is your, you know, is your deli meat. You heat it up. Those nitrates and nitrites with the heat are converted into nitrosamines, which are then carcinogenic. Um, and they're massive carcinogens. So I'm not saying don't eat bacon. I'm also not saying don't eat deli meat. What I am saying is know where it's coming from, know what's in them, look at the ingredients, don't buy them from your regular everyday store. If you do, make sure, you know, so let me, I'll take that back. Your regular everyday stores are learning, which is awesome. And it's because of us. It's because we're like, we don't want any more trash food. We want good food. We want healthy food. We want food that comes from the land. We want food that comes from healthy animals. So they're starting to get it because we're pushing it. And we need to keep that momentum going and keep pushing and keep pushing. But we're seeing healthier foods, healthier animals, healthier meats coming into our everyday grocery store. Um, and so just take the time to look, right? It, it is a little bit of a process, but take the time because your health depends on it, which means your life depends on it. The, life, the, the health of your family and the lives of your family depends on it as well. It's that important. Don't, don't think that it's not. Um, interestingly, grains may increase cortisol and estrogen leading to infertility issues. So this is all grains. Now, some people I think can handle grains better than other people. Um, here in the United States, gluten, which is part of, it's a protein in wheat, it is inflammatory no matter what. We've taken it, we've, hi we've hybridized it, we've increased the gluten content. I don't have really the time to get into that right now, except for understanding that gluten in the United States and in other surrounding countries is a big problem. It creates an inflammatory response. It creates intestinal permeability. 
the pesticides and the herbicides on it in and of itself create intestinal permeability leading to autoimmune conditions, right? So um, beyond just the hybridization of it, they're high, high, high in pesticides and herbicides. If you are gonna do grains, the best way to do grains is by sprouting them. Organic grains, either buy them already sprouted or you can sprout them yourself and then eat them. That way you're decreasing the anti-nutrients in them, you're buying organics, so you're not getting the pesticides and the herbicides. Um, you know, there was a time that bread was actually healthy. Um, and I think when it's made properly today, it can be as well. So we're looking at um, uh, uh, sourdough bread made from heirloom wheat, right? It's got normal amounts of gluten in it. Uh, that has also, that has been fermented, right? That's the sourdough part of it, which then decreases, maybe in some, it eliminates. Uh, I say decreases because I'm not, I don't, celiacs, I would say don't eat sourdough bread. Maybe you, some might be able to, right? Um, but it decreases the, the, the amount of gluten, which is really cool stuff, right? So sourdough bread can be, a healthy alternative. I don't think it should be a staple, but it can be a healthy alternative. We also have really, really great uh, gluten-free breads. There's one called Base Culture that I love. It's nut-based, gluten-free. It's really amazing. Uh, shout out to Base Culture for doing really good stuff out there. Um, so uh, let's see. Sugar. Do I have to say any more, right? So all sugar is a problem. So if you're eating fruit, too much fruit for some people can be a problem. If you're dealing with blood sugar imbalances, then yeah, it's a problem and it's gonna be, it's gonna create more inflammation. So you've gotta be really, really careful with that. But the sugar that we have today, the white sugar, even you know, too much coconut sugar, too much molasses, these things, we are not meant to eat a lot of sugar. Small amounts of sugar. Eat your fruit. Um, it, it has created this the situation where we are no longer sensitive to sugar. So we need more and we need more and we don't taste it. One of my favorite things in practice when I'm working with clients is when they come back and they say, I am amazed at how sweet a strawberry is. I am amazed at how sweet a blueberry is. I didn't know it was as sweet as it is. It's phenomenal. I put a pineapple in my mouth yesterday and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so sweet. When you eat sugar in normal amounts, which is very low amounts, you have a higher sensitivity to the sweetness of foods and you don't need all of the excess sweet. Um, it's really amazing to, to you know, go back to, again to the show that Sherry and I did last week and, and, and really being able to taste the flavors of food when it's real food and not chemically altered. It's really beautiful. One of the most amazing joys of life is, is, the, is being able to taste and enjoy food. It's just beautiful. It really, really is. Uh, it's such a gift. We know that alcohol is inflammatory, right? It's a problem. Don't fall for, you know, drinking a bunch of wine. Is, you know, it's got flavonoids. It does, but, it, you know, you can get flavonoids without drinking a bunch of wine. Um, beer, hops. Hops increases estrogen. Hops increases um, adipose tissue, right? So beer can also be a problem. Don't get me wrong, I love beer. I don't drink beer anymore because um, I don't do gluten. Although every now and then I will have a good gluten-free beer. Uh, shout out to Ricoli uh, because uh, that's our little local gluten-removed brewery and they do amazing work. And then caffeine. Caffeine can create hormonal imbalances. I'm not saying stop your coffee, um, but I am saying make sure it's organic, make sure it's uh, uh, mycotoxin free. Lots of coffee is full of mycotoxins, okay? So mycotoxins being mold, which in and of itself can create huge problems. Uh, epigenetically, some of us don't have the ability to eliminate mycotoxins like other, others, and that in and of itself can, can put a, a, more of a stress on the body. Let's see, um, EMFs, mobile devices. Stop, for you men who want to be fertile, stop putting your phone in your pocket. Stop putting your laptop on your lap. 
right? You gotta protect protect your man parts. Um, so be really, really careful with that because those things are showing up more and more to be pretty uh, uh, toxic to 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 our bodies, let alone our reproductive organs. Okay, so a um, couple of things we talked about mitigating these. Um, um, you know, it's it's good for men. You know, take a good multivitamin, a good one. You know, don't go to the big box whatever store and just go grab a one a day. Those are those can create more problems than good. You want to have a good multivitamin with CoQ10. CoQ10 is mitochondrial support, super important. A good fish oil and a good antioxidant support. This is very, very general. Um, another one I like, I like maca. Maca is an herb, it's a little bit sweet, it's good, it can help to increase testosterone, can be useful for women as well, but be careful, it can have a massive impact on hormones, uh, pushing some symptoms, I experienced it. Uh, so just be aware of that. Uh, it takes tiny, tiny amounts. Also, ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is really fun because it's an adaptogenic herb that is really supportive for the adrenals. It's really supportive for the the our uh, our, uh, our our brain, our neurology. Um, it really is an awesome, calming, adaptogenic type of herb, which means it bounces, right? It goes to where it needs to be. It's really cool stuff. But it also can help increase testosterone. So it can be a good uh, a good way of mitigating some stress and supporting stress while also increasing testosterone for both men and for women. Um, so, but this is very general. So uh, find somebody, you know, ask me. I'm here to answer questions, I truly am. Um, but uh, find somebody who can help you with some of this stuff and um, give you some guidance. I want to hit on something that is a little bit outside of my knowledge base, but I think it's a, an important conversation to have and I think it's important to bring up. When I was posting about this show, I had, actually it was Sherry from last week, again, watch the show from last week, it was really a, a fascinating show. but. Um, Sherry asked me to touch on fertility rates in men post-COVID and the way that COVID was handled. Um, it's not always easy to find that kind of information and I think that we still have, there's still some data coming out, but I think it is important to, to talk about a few things that um, that maybe we don't know about, but that's out there, that we can, we have all the access to. So there are Pfizer documents out in the world. Um, and so this isn't related to COVID itself, but more the vaccines. Um, so there's the Pfizer documents that my understanding is we can all get hold of. So they're there, but that show that the vaccines harm the testes um, and that they also have the potential of creating, creating anti-sperm antibodies. What does that mean? It means it's an autoimmune response against sperm. It means the body goes and it attacks sperm cells and kills them. What is that gonna do? Well, it's certainly gonna create a problem with fertility. Um, let's see. There's a report in June that showed two doses dropped fertility in men by 22%. Uh, two doses of the vaccine. Um, and then Boosters further reduced for, uh, concentration and motility. I have a note here, all Pfizer docs are readily available. Um, and then there was a study done, let's see, Israeli researchers did a study and showed that the vaccines temporarily impair semen concentration and motility. Let's see, what else do we have here? So healthy young men were donating sperm. Their average age was 26. Again, this is an Israeli study. Lower sperm counts after the second dose of the vax on average. Um, let's see, it increased temperature, which can, which can be a problem for sperm and for testes. Um, it wasn't shown immediately after the, the boosters are, I'm sorry, after the vaccine, but it did show later in time. So they, when they looked 
seven months, so, sorry, the later time frame and a significant decrease, so 20% less sperm in samples, um, and then seven months out showed more issues. So I know I'm not, I'm, again, this is, this is kind of new to me uh, in, in researching this, and it's just the start of a conversation, or it's the start of you going and looking deeper if that's something that you want to do. But it's important for those of you who are who who are maybe struggling with fertility, who are looking to get pregnant, um, as you as you go through the process, you make your own decisions on what you do with your body. That's why we have these freedoms, why we should have these freedoms. We make our own decisions, but we want to make our decisions based on education. Um, and some of the decisions you've already made. So are they affecting your fertility if you're struggling? Potentially. So, but is it possible, as long as your body's not attacking sperm, sperm cells, right? If you already are dealing with an autoimmune condition where your body's attacking sperm cells, you know, that could, could it be reversed? Maybe. Um, it's gonna take some time. If so, all autoimmune conditions take time to reverse, uh, but you know, there are protocols for helping the body to repair after vaccines. There are protocols for, for supporting the body. Um, again, I'm not telling you one way or the other what you should or shouldn't do, but I am bringing the information to you. I think it needs to be shared, and I think that, that people need to know what impacts their life, right? These things impact our lives. These things impact who we are, who we want to be, and then who we want to create. We want to create little healthy humans, um, those of us who are in that age of creation. Um, and we want to be aware, we want to be aware. And that's, that's really, it's, it's education, it's knowledge. The more education and knowledge that we have, the more, the better decisions we can make. And if we made decisions that maybe we're like, oh, beans, I wish I hadn't made that decision. Well, then you have the knowledge and education to move forward. I mean, we all make decisions that we wish we hadn't made um, in one way or another. And so in, in many different cases, right? It's not just this and it's not just health and wellness in many different cases, but having the knowledge, having the information moving forward, that's what's important. But that's life, that's how we learn, that's how we grow, that's how we build character is by, by the past. You know, we learn from, from our past, we learn from uh, our own mistakes, we learn from others' mistakes, and we take that and we grow from it and we take it forward, and then we teach it. And that's all that we can do. So, with all of that being said, um, the last thing that I wanna say, this is, um, I found it interesting. I don't know how relevant, but interesting, <clears throat> because you know, we talk a lot about ivermectin. Uh, we talk about the safety of ivermectin. And maybe it is. I mean, I have thought that it's a pretty safe uh, drug. You know, we give it to our animals all the time. Uh, I don't give it to my animals all the time. I think anything that is antimicrobial on a regular basis is still has, has toxicity potentials. But when necessary, sure. But one of the studies that was done, and this was long-term, and when I say long-term, I'm talking like it was 11 months in men. Um, and so men were giving, given ivermectin for 11 month period of time, had nothing to do with COVID, it had to do with other, uh, another uh, infection, but it showed a decrease in sperm count, motility, morphology, that kind of thing. Um, I'm not gonna get into those details, I don't have a lot of those details, but the data is there. Um, and so how does that impact the short amount of time that, that, we, uh, that a lot of us used ivermectin for COVID? Don't really know, but it is something to, to be aware of for sure. Um, they did a study in, in men and of course in, of course in rats and in sheep. And again, I think it was all long-term studies, but it did create a problem for the testes and for the sperm. So, um, you know, I think that there are, uh, in my understanding, just with those who I know who are, who are in and practicing medicine, you know, taking ivermectin on sort of a prophylactic basis, uh, it, you know, could that be problematic? Maybe, you know, it's something to look into. 
you know, we don't want to go into these things, you know, with blinders on. We want to go in with our eyes as wide open as possible and with as much information as we can. So it's something it's something to look at. Uh, but the overarching message here is that we are dealing with, Men and women both are struggling with fertility uh, uh, pretty equally, and so much of it can be reversed. We have the ability to reverse these problems, and so go out, find somebody who can help you. Um, oh, and my alarm goes off. I guess it's time to stop the show. <laughs> Anyway, um, find somebody who can help you. Find somebody who, who is there to give you guidance. I'm here, of course, um, and then there are lots of others who are here to help as well. So you can find me at tastelifenutrition.com. You can find, you can go, I have a, uh, an assessment you can fill out both for Soulful Conception as well as just for any of my other services. We'll chat about it. We'll see how we might be able to help you. Um, I'm always here to answer questions about soulful conception and preconception planning. It is um, what I was put here to do. So uh, good stuff. I'm excited about it. Ask questions. Uh, let's 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 you know work together to create a healthy future because it truly is in our hands. You can find me at uh, Taste Life Nutrition on all the social media. And soulful conception has, I believe, as of today or tomorrow, officially launched. And so we are moving forward into creating a healthy future. So, um, looking forward to seeing you next week, 10 a.m., of course, streaming live here on KUHSDenver.com and then turning that into the Taste Life Nutrition Podcast where you can find it anywhere you find your favorite podcast. So we'll see you next week. See you later.